0: Next up, Capital Talk, a weekly political analysis program produced by Montana Public Radio. Capital Talk is hosted by Sally Mock and features Lee Newspaper State News Bureau Chief Holly Michaels. Sitting in this week for Rob Saldin is Montana State University and Carroll College political science professor, Dr. Jesse Benyon. You're Sally.
1: Holly, the House has passed House Bill 2, the main budget bill, with only six hours of debate. And I say only because that really is not much debate on a bill as all-encompassing and complex as this one. Democrats' efforts to amend the bill mostly failed, so it's fair to say, isn't it, Holly, that this is a Republican budget.
2: Yeah, we saw a really strong partisan divide on display during debate over House Bill 2, like you said, Democrats attempted to bring 15 amendments to the budget and we didn't see any Republicans try to make any changes on the floor. And I don't think given the Republican supermajority that we have in the House and Senate this session that the budget advancing on a party line vote was all that unexpected. But I do think it's interesting we didn't see any Republican amendments. Um, In a press conference before the debate, Speaker of the House Matt Regeer said he talked with his caucus about respecting the work of the Republican-led budget subcommittees, the things that they already did to change the budget, as well as the Republican-chaired House Appropriations Committee. So we did see, like you said, you know, Democratic amendment after Democratic amendment fail. That included things like efforts to cut money for transferring 120 prisoners to Arizona, adding money for more public defenders to the Office of Public Defense, putting $170 million into the state's emergency rental assistance program, and $600,000 for cutting co-pays for reduced-price school meals. You know, We heard Republicans praise the budget generally saying they thought, the rate of increased spending it has over the last budget was pretty reasonable given inflation. They also said they thought it struck a good balance in right-sizing government. But Democrats, like we've heard through this session, said you know they feel like there's a few bipartisan highlights, but they're pretty frustrated to see a budget that they point out has no direct investment in affordable housing. They say it doesn't go far enough on things like child care and also doesn't fully fund rates paid to Medicaid providers as the study recommended.
1: Well, there was one odd scene, Holly, after Republican Jennifer Carlson was, The lone Republican to vote with Democrats on that effort you mentioned to prevent 120 state prison inmates being sent to a private prison out of state. That effort failed, but Carlson caught some flack for breaking ranks.
2: Yeah, so this was the only vote in that six hour debate we saw where someone broke ranks with the party. Like you said, that came from Republican Jennifer Carlson on that prison transfer amendment. After the vote, House Majority Leader Sue Vinton of Billings spoke with Carlson off the House floor, and Carlson is a whip for Republicans, meaning it's part of her job to make sure people are voting together on some of these things. And after that discussion, Carlson and Vinton returned to the floor separately. Carlson had a couple people come up from both parties to kind of comfort her after that. And one of our reporters talked to Carlson after the vote, and she said you know, she understood the importance of voting as a bloc. It's something the party had talked about beforehand, but she had a hard time backing something that she just didn't agree with. So next up for the budget, it's going to move to the Senate. It's going to go through a similar process there. It'll be amended most likely, then it'll go up to the House for final debate. That's the last thing that happens normally in the session, so still a lot to go on the budget, but this is a pretty major step for it.
1: Jesse, the majority party in the legislature has historically always
2: held the upper
1: hand, be they Republican or Democrat, but in the past, there have been efforts to work across the aisle, at least to get some bipartisan support on bills. But this session, Republicans, certainly on the budget, seem fine not worrying about that. What, if anything, is the potential problem with one party having that kind of dominance?
3: Yes. In the past, Democrats have always had the ability to get some things. And they may have been hopeful at the beginning of this session even. But right now, I'm sure they're feeling very defeated. The drawbacks of one party dominance, you're right. There's no need to come to consensus. There's really only consensus building between moderates and the far right that we're seeing. They don't have to debate as much. They don't even really need as much of a strategy to build that cooperation, the give and take that we see in government. So that means that some minority ideas and voices are drowned out. And I think that that can be very demotivating to Democratic voters. That can make them feel like their vote or their policy ideas don't matter and that they don't have a seat at that negotiating table. What we know in political science is that healthy democracies have robust debates. Republicans could push back, though, and say that this is what the voters wanted. They came into the session with the mandate. They have the supermajority. The governor has gotten his budget. One other drawback, though, that I want to talk about is that when one party gets everything that they want, you now know who to blame for everything. And so when Republicans control everything, then Democrats now have talking points when they are running for office. But yes, I know it doesn't probably feel very good right now to be a Democrat in Montana.
1: Well, we'll continue to see how that uh, sort of partisanship plays out in the legislature. And Holly, Senate Bill 99, which would criminalize gender affirming care for transgender minors, is well on its way to the governor's desk. And supporters like Representative Braxton Mitchell argue minors shouldn't have access to this care. Here's what he said
2: This is adolescent children we're talking about. Can't buy alcohol, can't buy cigarettes. Can't consent to sexual activities, can't live on their own.
1: But Democrat Zoe Zephyr, who is transgender, believes denying such care is cruel.
2: To delay them from the care that they need is to force them to go through a puberty that is, for many trans people, tantamount to torture.
1: Zephyr lost the argument, Holly, but this bill, if it becomes law, is likely headed to court.
2: Yeah, we've heard on both sides, both House and Senate, when this bill has been debated from people giving testimony that they anticipate this will be litigated if it passes as expected. So I think that's something we can be looking to after the session ends. In addition to what you said of this bill blocking gender affirming care for trans minors, it would also penalize doctors who provide the care with fines and license suspension. And it would also not allow state property or buildings to be used to promote or advocate social transitioning. It would also stop medicaid from covering transition care the bill was amended to still allow for those covered by medicaid to get treatment at facilities that offer gender-affirming care but not for that gender-affirming care so that's if someone might be getting cancer treatment at a facility that also does gender-affirming care that would still be allowed and like those bites you just played here you know, the house debate mirrored a lot of what we've already heard about this bill this session's a lot of intense and emotional debate like we heard from Representative Mitchell, Republicans are arguing minors are not mature enough to be making decisions about this type of care. But we've heard from opponents to the bill that include doctors who have made clear gender affirming surgery is not performed on minors and that other types of care, like treatment with hormones, doesn't happen until after extensive medical consultation and with the consent of both parents. We've also heard from national medical groups and testimony that all national medical groups have said gender-affirming care is evidence-based best practice, and that surgery isn't even all that common among adults. From opponents, we have heard testimony similar to what we heard from Representative Zephyrzer, that this type of care is life-saving for some kids. We also heard on the floor Democrats point out this bill would still allow the type of care it's banning for trans kids for other kids, and they're asking why, if these procedures are dangerous for one population, why they aren't for another But like you said, this bill is advancing. We saw three Republicans join with all Democrats in voting against the bill on a second reading. But given the Republican supermajority, that's nowhere near enough to block it from moving forward. Once this clears the House, it'll head back to the Senate for consideration of amendments. So there's still a few more steps before it reached the governor, but it is moving through the process.
1: Jesse, Montana is just one of several states on the verge of passing laws aimed at the transgender population. And it's a very small group, have not been targeted like this until fairly recently. So my question to you is, why now? Why has it become such a dominant issue?
3: You know, there's certainly a cultural conversation that we are having at the moment over gender identity. And as the media focuses more on it, people hear about it, and then they possibly are talking to their legislators about it. So Montana legislators could be hearing from their own constituents about this very thing, and I'm sure they are. You know, after the Supreme Court case for marriage equality Many interest groups that were fighting for or against marriage equality kind of had to shift their political organizing to new fundraising, new ideas. And we can see that after marriage equality, the discussion moved really to the sort of bathroom bills and then now to this issue of gender identity. So the interest groups that work in these areas have to fundraise and to be in existence, really. This is a nationally coordinated movement, most likely part of a national political strategy that has. Has been shown to be important for that fundraising but also important to the electoral success of Republicans. But at an even deeper kind of human behavioral level, those who research political psychology have observed some things and there is a human tendency to not like change, but there's also another specific trait that is being open to new things, to change. And that has been shown to be a more liberal trait. So when I think of voters and how they act behaviorally for conservatives, there is a very real fear of change or swiftly changing cultural norms. And that can be tapped into in the political world. And we're seeing that right here in Montana.
1: Holly, Montana State School Superintendent Elsie Arnson has been holding forums around the state, and she's been getting an earful from educators and parents on everything from teacher pay to charter schools.
2: Yeah, we saw a reporting by the Lewistown News Argus about this. And like you said, she's been traveling the state doing these types of forums, and not all of them have gone very smoothly. One person in the crowd in Lewistown asked Arntzen how charter schools would work in the state, given teacher shortages we're facing at public schools. And the person also said they're worried how charter schools would work with limited financial resources for public schools because charter schools would pull some money from that pot there are two competing charter school bills working their way through the session now, and Arnson has been a very vocal supporter of school choice in the past. At that meeting, Arnson defended some of the criticism on charter schools by saying most other states allow for them. And she also referenced possible philanthropic support for charter schools, something one of the sponsors of the bill said would be necessary for them. A school administrator disputed charter schools would really represent choice, saying that schools already approved transfers between public school districts all the time and that they felt public money should stay with public schools. The News Argus reported that others who attended this Lewistown meeting were pretty critical about teacher pay being too low. Arson tried to say that that's a school board issue that they set pay, but school officials point out the state funding formula is a pretty major factor in teacher pay.
1: Jesse, a lot of people are not convinced that the top public education official in the state, Superintendent Arnson, actually believes in public education. And I'm not sure this tour has done anything to disprove that.
3: Yeah, it's a fine line. Generally, it seems odd to me from a good government's perspective to have someone in a position like hers that doesn't take the mission of the office seriously or in this case take the duties of public education seriously. So I think that there's a very real tension that we're seeing. I know that there are rumors that she is potentially going to run for the Eastern Congressional District for the House and so this tour raises her profile and I think about it through the mind of the voter. So for a segment of voters There has been a suspicion of, I guess you could say, indoctrination or curriculum issues that push agendas in schools. And and these are very real concerns for Republican voters. And so as an elected Republican, she's certainly tapping into that and, again, has been electorally successful with that messaging. Vouchers, private schools, charter schools, these have all been part of Republican policy ideas for decades now. But I think what we're seeing is that the pandemic really pushed those discussions further on the Republican side there was disappointment with how schools dealt with the pandemic so maybe she feels that she needs to speak to that disappointment and again Republican voters they are more suspicious of public education so I think that that really is why she's acting this way on this tour and how she deals with that tension of of representing that office
1: Holly and Jesse, we're out of time thank you so much
2: thanks Sally thank you
0: You've been listening to Capital Talk, a weekly political analysis program produced by Montana Public Radio and hosted by Sally Mock. Capital Talk features Lee Newspaper State News Bureau Chief Holly Michaels. Sitting in this week for Rob Saldine was Montana State University and Carroll College political science professor Dr. Jesse Benyon. Thanks for listening and join us next week for more analysis of Montana politics.